Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. This is a league of A's and B's. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West, wheat versus iron, love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country, a league of Jacksons and Kwongs, Johnsons, Moscas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league. This is Greg, and we are coming to you live from the 55-yard line here in Chicago and in South Carolina, where this week we sit down with football historian Randy Snow of the World of Football podcast that he and his son Adam broadcast from Kalamazoo, Michigan each week to talk not just American football, but Canadian football as well, including commentary on current issues and history lessons on the game that we all love, both north and south of the border. Randy, my friend, welcome. I appreciate you coming on. And... Uh, Huge fan of your show, your weekly show, and, you know, very appreciative of you coming on to our show and talk history. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. I'll love to talk football whenever I can. First question I have, obviously, Black Ice, you're a huge fan, but when did the, the history aspect come in? What, you know, how old were you when you really started getting into the, to the backstory of football? Well, it was about maybe 10 years ago or so. Uh, I just started talking to Adam about the USFL. And, and I just assumed that Adam knew what I was talking about because I lived, I lived through the USFL. I knew all this stuff. And it took me a minute to realize, my gosh, he wasn't there. He wasn't born yet when that was going on. He doesn't know all this stuff. And I thought, well, I've got all this knowledge about things that happened in the past, you know, the USFL and, and the, the CFL and, and things like that. So I just thought I need to start, you know, concentrating on the history of football. And I started, and that, that's when my love of, of football history really uh, took off was after I realized that I know a lot of things that young people don't. So it, I felt like it was my mission to educate young people on what's happened before, because when young people think about uh, millennials, I call them, uh, when they start talking about football history, they think it goes all the way back to Super Bowl one. That's ancient history for a lot of these kids. And I'm like, no, there was so much more that came before that. And you need to know about it. And I can tell you because I was there. So that's that's kind of where my love for the history of the game started at. Well, and that's interesting what you said about the USFL, too, because I was the same way. And it, it was so important to me. And I was such a big fan. I'm kind of like you. I just assume that everyone knows the backstory from, you know, 1983 to 85 and the 86 fall season that never happened. But but you're right. I mean, you just get glazed looks from a lot of people when you bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. I went to my first NFL game in 1975 when I was 16 years old. My brother took me to a game and it just it's grown since then. You know, and then 83, the USFL came along. And for for three years, uh, I was just 
uh, in football heaven because you had the NFL in your fall in the fall, you had USFL in the spring. So I had year round football going on and I could be a fan of the lions in the fall. And I could be a fan of the Michigan Panthers in the spring. And they didn't conflict with one another because they were totally unrelated, but I had football year round. So I loved it. Well, see, that's why I've always been jealous of, of people like you and Greg, because you, you do live in a major league city and I'm from Birmingham and I'm moving back next week, as a matter of fact. But what we've had in Birmingham has always been these off-brand leagues. So, you know, once they came along, you just really had to embrace them because that's all you had. So if you had spring football, you know, you were a free agent when you got to the fall, you know, as far as whatever NFL team that you rooted for. But, uh, yeah, that was great about the USFL because you did have – a completely separate league so you didn't have to divide any loyalties whatsoever right and it was nice because those two uh teams played in the same stadium so from detroit uh, to kalamazoo it's about a, a two-hour drive so it was not that big, big of a deal to drive over to see a game either of the the panthers or to the lions yeah, Greg, and did you uh, go to any oh, i'm sorry oh no 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 i apologize um and also too um arena football i know you're a huge arena football fan yep yep and we had a team up in grand rapids so that's like an hour from my house uh from our house to the parking lot at the uh, arena up, up there was exactly one hour so we, that started out in uh, the year 2000 uh, the, the team actually started i believe in 1998 and in 2000 uh, i went to my first game and it was, it was arranged by my Air National Guard unit. They took a bunch of people and we just met up there. They bought a bunch of seats and I took the boys and we loved it. And I went back later on that season and I took my older brother with me and it was just him and I. And uh, he had never seen anything like arena football. And so we're sitting there in the game and about halftime, I turned to my brother and I said, hey, you want to get season tickets next year? And he goes, heck yeah, I do. This is awesome. <laughs> and so I had season tickets through 2008 when the team folded. So, yeah, it was, it was a great time. Great, great way to, to bond with the kids, take them to an arena game and just have a good time. And it was yeah. the price was right. You know, uh, season tickets, I think I got for about 100 bucks, you know, for two or three seats. So it was awesome. Well, I know Birmingham had an arena two team, which was nothing, you know, not nearly on the level as, as the arena league. And it really seemed like it had carved out a really great niche. And then all of a sudden, and admittedly, I, I didn't follow it as closely as, as you did. But what happened? I mean, it just seems like overnight it, everything started going downhill. Well, uh, so your team was the Steel Dogs, I think, down right. there, wasn't it? Yep. Birmingham, Birmingham Steel Dogs. Dogs. Yep. Uh, the, what what was going on was the arena football league uh, at one time had a total of 19 teams and they, they were getting pretty big. And then all of a sudden they said, well, we need a developmental league. So they started their own minor league. Uh, they called it AF two arena football two. Mm -hmm. And that's where the steel dogs came in and a bunch of others. There were actually more AF two teams in the country than there were arena football league teams. They were, they were just everywhere in a lot of smaller markets and smaller uh, venues in fact, they had one that was uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana called the Fort Wayne Fusion for a year. And I covered that team. Uh, so it was really strange because I'm, I'm covering a game in Grand Rapids one night, and then I'm going an hour and a half south to Fort Wayne to cover a game on another night. Uh, so, it, I mean, I loved it. You know, I couldn't get enough of it. It was, it was hard. I couldn't do it at my age now. But back then, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was awesome. And I always had a couple of kids in tow. You know, I might be in the press box, but the, the kids were sitting in the seats and I could see them from the press box and we just had a good time. They, they enjoyed the game. I enjoyed covering it. And, you know, we talk football all the way home on the drive. Nice family affair. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. You know, and you and when you guys talk arena bonds and actually I think you're one of the few podcasts that, that I know of that talks arena football each week in terms of what's going on with the scores, not so much with the business part of it, but with the scores and, and the history of it too. I mean, you've been there, you've seen the history of the game and, yeah. um, Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm just going to say, right. What's going on today. I mean, you've got the national arena league and you've got the American arena league, but to me, they're not playing arena football. They are, uh, indoor football le leagues. You know, there's an indoor football league and there's, there's several others but they play a different style because the main thing is for arena football to be arena football, you have to have the rebound nets 
And that's something that nobody else had except the Arena Football League because that was patented with a U.S. patent on the gameplay. So everybody else, they might call themselves you know, Arena Football, but they're indoor football. There was only one Arena Football League, and that was the Arena Football League and Arena Football 2. Yeah, I think that's what's been kind of disappointing because a lot of these leagues have popped up. And, and if you did follow the original Arena League, like you were talking about, it was it was unique. I mean, there were the, you know, the nets and everything else. And that's that's how I came to associate indoor football. I mean, that was indoor football to me. And then all of a sudden, these little right. fly by night leagues would come along and they would basically just roll a rug out onto a hockey rink, you know, and pitch it and catch it. And it just it just wasn't the same at all. But, but, but really, there's nothing wrong with indoor football because I covered indoor football teams. We had a team here in Kalamazoo. It was called the Kalamazoo Explosion. Uh, there was a team in the city, you know, about a half an hour from here in Battle Creek, Michigan, called the Battle Creek Crunch. I covered that team. Uh, when the Fort Wayne Freedom wasn't playing, they had an indoor team called uh, the Fort Wayne uh, Freedom. And so I, I like indoor football, but there is a distinction between the two. And to me, uh, arena foot, the Arena Football League was uh, much superior. Right. But there's nothing wrong with indoor football. And I've been, I've been here in Chicago. We had the Chicago Rush play. And I was at three of their games. And I was fortunate enough to have seats literally on the 25-yard on the line at, you know, at the pads. And uh, it's quite an experience to watch a game from far up. But when you're right down there, come, it is – it's like watching a hockey game with cleats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, Ra- that's you mentioned the Chicago Rush. Randy, you'd probably know this. Was were they the team that played in the first test game? Because it seems like ESPN had a had a, a test game of two teams before the league actually started. For some reason, the Chicago Rush kind of popped into my no, head. No, it, it was it was um, they were a couple of semi pro teams that they put together for the first test game. And I'm I'm gonna make a mistake here, but I think one was called the um, the politicians, and the other one, God, I can't remember the other team's name. Oh, geez, but it no, was they a were Rockford something, I believe. Yeah, that sounds uh, right. That's... Yeah, but the politicians, um, you're right on. Yeah, and I can't I cannot remember the other team, but th- but they were all made up of semi pro players that they brought in just for a couple of a, a test game. So, the, you know, the Chicago rush did not come along uh, until years later, but that first game was in Chicago. Okay. Up at what we used to call the Rosemont horizon, which is now the all state yes. arena. Yes. Yes. And um, so with, you know, arena and I know you're a, a big CFL fan too. How about, um, yes. and I know you've been to a number of CFL games. So tell us about your CFL experience. Well, I had heard about the CFL when I was a lot younger and I'd never seen a game because, you know, back in the seventies, early eighties, it wasn't on TV. There was no internet. So I, it was a big mystery to me. And uh, I really, actually, I, I had a friend who lived in Battle Creek and they had um, a cape, cable TV and they had the Canadian broadcasting network on there. So I invited myself over to watch a little bit of a CFL game. And I think, I know it was Edmonton, uh, as one of the teams and it might've been Calgary, the other team. So I actually got to see an actual game for the first time. And then I didn't see it for years and years after that. So what really got my interest back into the CFL is when Doug Flutie went up there because I followed him in college. I followed him in the USFL. Uh, I actually saw him play in a game in the USFL and then he went up to Canada. So then I was totally fixated on learning more about the Canadian football league and trying to find it on TV, which in the early days you couldn't, but by the mid nineties, uh, they were showing the games on ESPN. So I could see some games there and now, you know, ESPN has got a game or two every week, so uh, I can watch all I want. But yeah, I was, I was following Doug Flutie's career up there. So I blame him for my love of Canadian football. (laughs) Yeah. We all have a backstory on the CFL, but I mean, if you, once you start to like it, you can never not like it again. It's just such a great right. game. Yeah. And it's yeah, such I an mean, underdog league too. Yeah. When you, when you start watching a game, you forget that there's actually 12 guys on the field. You forget that there's only three downs uh, most of the time and you just enjoy the football and it's, it's all passing, which I like, which is what the arena football league was like. I mean, that was 90% passing or 99% passing and a few runs here and there. 
So the CFL is kind of the same, and it's there's great athletes. There's uh, great games. I've seen some great games in person. I've seen some great games on TV, and I just I love the game and I love the players up there. And um, you know, being where you're at in Kalamazoo, I, I know you know as a kid in the late and early I'm sorry early '70s, I grew up and over by Detroit for a period of time. And I always would would tell people, I go, you know, but for my parents moving back to Chicago, I probably would have been a a CFL fan because you could get the games on CBC out of Windsor. And also I would have been a Detroit Lions fan. I know you're a huge Lions fan. So um, (laughs) every time, uh, every time I I see the Lions play, I'm like, I'm always going to pull for those Lions. So um, now in terms of your CFL, it's it's not easy. No, I know. <laughs> it's not easy. No. In, in fact, I'll tell you this. Yeah. Uh, there was a particularly bad game uh, that they, they had it in, in their grasp, and they, they, they lost the game somehow. I don't know why. And I felt so bad, and, and I felt worse for my sons. And I actually sent them an email. And I said, I'm sorry that I made you a Detroit Lions fan because <laughs> now, now you know what it's like to have your heart ripped out uh, after watching a game because this was the perfect example. That loss this week was just absolutely terrible. Oh. My son saved that email, and he brings that up every now and then about how I, how I sent an apology email to him <laughs> because I, I was sorry for making him a Lions fan all his life. Oh, wow. Wow. If, you know, my, my dad, my dad didn't make me a Bears fan. I just kind of became one. I was more of a Dolphins fan back in the early seventies. And now I'm an Arizona Cardinals fan. And I know if I would have a son, I'd probably be the same way as you with the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, I probably would have made, made him a Cardinals fan too. So, um, yeah, no. And that's, you know, being the great thing about doing these podcasts is we're all fans. I mean, for all of us, this cost us nothing to do. We get no financial anything out of it, but what we get out of it is that mutual love for the game. And, um, and I know with Adam and you there, there's a huge love of that game. And what, what's it like? I mean, I've never been to a football game with my old man, my dad. I know Scott did Scott's been to games with his dad. So when you guys go to a game, let me ask you, it's a full day affair. I mean, how often do you guys go? I mean, what, what what's game day like for you guys? Uh, you know, going to see the Lions or any other team play? Well, like I said, uh, to see the Lions, it's about a two-hour drive, maybe a little more. Yeah. So we've got to we've got to get up pretty early and uh, hit the road uh, because I, I like to get there fairly early. So I like to get to the stadium around eleven o'clock as soon as the doors open for a one o'clock game. So we'll leave the house around nine o'clock in the morning and we'll drive over there. Uh, we, we've been to some Thanksgiving Day games, and those are pretty fun too. Uh, but it's just uh, the fact that it, it is an all-day affair. So we're there right. a couple hours before the game because uh, when I used to take them to the Silver Dome when the Lions played up there in Pontiac, it was fun to get there early before the stadium filled up and just walk all the way around the stadium on both levels. You know, you you go up to the upper level, and that's where you get a hot dog and a coke because there's nobody there yet. So you get that out of the way, and you go and you look at the different vendors that are. Um, selling whatever and uh, maybe you buy some souvenirs or, or this and that and then you finally go to your seat uh, before everybody else is there and then you let, let the stadium fill up for the most part I like to sit in my seat until the game is over with I don't like to get up at halftime or whatever but I remember one time when Adam was little uh, he he wanted to have a, a hot dog at halftime so we went down and uh, uh, 80,000 of our close personal friends were all in line in front of us to get a hot dog and a beer and I said, man, I'm never doing this again. And, you know, we, we were there when the kickoff happened for the second half because we were still in line. So today I like to just sit in my seat and I don't get out until the game's over with. So you, and that you, might include leaving early if it's a bad game. Right, right. So Adam, I imagine, does when he's, he's the one that does all the, uh, the ordering and the, and, and the carrying back to the, the seat. <laughs> if he wants something, he can go. <laughs> Bring me back some popcorn, whatever. <laughs> I used to love the dome. The first time you go to a dome stadium, if you've never been to it, I mean, that's aside from the game, that's just an experience just because, wow, you know, I'm in a football stadium with a roof. <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah. crazy because the first one I went to was the, the Louisiana Superdome. It's just, it's mm-hmm. really awesome the first time you do it. 
Well, the Pontiac Silverdome, as you know, was a, a fabric uh, roof. Right. It, it wasn't solid. It was held up by air pressure. And so you had to go through the revolving doors because everything else was closed up. So when you walked into the stadium, you went through the revolving doors and your ears would start popping the minute you got inside because of the difference in air pressure. Wow. And after the after the game, a lot of people would open up the, the regular doors and all this air was just rushing out. So it was like a huge windstorm to get out of that place. And the RCA Dome in Indianapolis was the same way because that had the same type of roof on it. And I took the kids down there once for a, a preseason game. And that, it was almost a, a carbon copy of the, the Silver Dome at that time. But now that you've got, uh, you know, Ford Field with a, a solid roof, I wish they'd have put a retractable roof on that stadium because it would be nice early in the season to have the roof open. But it's not. Um, but I have been down to the Indianapolis Stadium down there, too. And that that is awesome. That is an awesome stadium. Uh, there's so much to see in that. Uh, Ford Field has a lot of charm because what they did when they built that stadium is they took um, the uh, Hudson's Warehouse, uh, Hudson's Department Store. They had a warehouse there, and um, that was where they kept all their furniture before they sent it off to the stores. And part of Ford Field, one side of it, is the old Hudson Warehouse. So it was this really? old brick, brick building yeah. that they incorporated into Ford Field. And Ford Field now has so much character and so much charm, whereas the Silver Dome was just a big open barn. You know, they, they had no character, no charm. It was just 80,000 people. And now you go to Ford Field and it's like 65,000 people, but there's so much character and the brickwork and just uh, there's so much there to see. It's it's I just love going there. It's really awesome. Yeah, the last dome stadium I went to was uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, which is, mm. you know, I mean, it, it's a great facility. But, yeah, there's something about, uh, you know, one that's that's built around an, an existing building or, or something like that. that just makes it special. You know, this. Obviously, Mercedes-Benz Stadium just, you know, came from nothing. But it's, it is gorgeous, especially the first time you go into it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you Adam talking, wants to go to that stadium real bad. And you were talking about the Hoosier Dome. And I'm, I'm, as you're telling the story, about, talking about the Hoosier Dome, I'm laughing. Um, if I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I just, I'm imagining this, but I just remember there were revolving doors in and out of the stadium. And it was almost like you were being shot out, like, of a rocket coming out of the stadium. Am I, am I mistake? Am I correct in that? Yes, you're. You're pretty <laughs> much correct. I <laughs> like I said, that the, the, the roof was held up by air pressure, yeah. so there was all this pressure. And when you're going out, the, the air pressure is following you out there. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's the only memory I really have of it, other than a half empty Colts, uh, half empty uh, dome with Jeff George in chart leading the Colts to yet another loss. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably a lot of those memories for everybody. And uh, well, speaking of memories, some what are some of your your best memories? Be it you know pro, I'm sorry, be it being it be it NFL, CFL, arena. I mean, you've seen a lot of games, and I know, um, and, and we're not that much difference in age. I, I is you know you and I were talking yesterday, but you've been to a lot more games. So what are you some some of your best memories of of seeing whether it be the Lions play, whether it be CFL or arena? You get did you get to see some classics? Uh, well, one of my best memories of the Lions was uh, back in around uh, 77, 76, 77, the first couple of years I was uh, going to NFL games. Tight end Charlie Sanders, who's now in the Hall of Fame with the Lions, uh, he became the Lions all-time leading receiver uh, in the game when, when I was there. And I'll never forget the play. Uh, the Lions were on the you know five-yard line, inside the five-yard line, but it was clear at the other end of the stadium. So I was way on the other end, but they hiked the ball and everybody on both teams ran to the right, figuring that's where the play was going to go. Quarterback Greg Landry rolled out to his left and Charlie Sanders went out to his left and they were the only two on that whole side of the field. And he just flipped this soft little pass to Charlie Sanders in the end zone, giving him the all-time receiving record for the Detroit Lions. And I remember that play so vividly. Uh, but that was, that's one of my, my favorite memories of, uh, of the Lions. When you talk about arena football, uh, the Grand Rapids Rampage won the Arena Football Championship um, in 2001. It was Arena Bowl 15, and we were there for that. 
Uh, I bought extra tickets. Uh, my niece was there. My brother was there that I had the season tickets with. He eventually, after a few years, decided he didn't want them anymore. So I, I bought a, a third seat and I took two of my boys to every game. But we got to be there while Grand Rapids uh, won the Arena Bowl title. And David Baker was there. He was the commissioner of the Arena Football League. Now he's the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But uh, I got to stand right next to him on the field after the game as the confetti's coming down and Man, that guy's huge. I'm only five six, but he he seemed like he was ten feet tall. <laughs> I, I I saw. <laughs> he's just yeah, a massive guy. I, I was at the Hall of Fame about four years ago with my my nephew, and I saw him there. And you can't miss him. He just he he said he's huge. Yeah, he's huge. I mean, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, no. And uh, how about CFL? I mean, did you see? I, you've seen a few. You've been in person with with some of the, with a few CFL games. Anything? Uh, Anything memorable up there? Um, the games were all pretty good. Uh, I have a, uh, on my website, I have a list of all the games that I've been to. And for some of the CFL games, I actually have a link to the, the YouTube highlights to that CFL game that I was there. And uh, there've been some really great games, but my, my best memory of the CFL is going to the old uh, uh, Skydome. That place was just office, uh, awesome. Watching the, the roof open up. I don't know if you've ever seen video of the roof opening up, but it's, it opens in two sections. There's a, a big center section that slides off to one side, and then there's a, a rounded section that, that spins all the way around the stadium, and it tucks in under that, that big uh, flat section that, that moved to one side. It's just awesome. Uh, I've, got a, uh, I've got a video on our website. Uh, if you go to the links section uh, and go down to CFL, you'll find... Uh, a link to a video called uh, two years and two minutes, or, or it's either three years and three minutes, but it's, it's a time-lapse video of the building of uh, the sky dome. And at the end, it shows the, the roof opening and closing several times. So they showed us that when we took a backstage tour of the, uh, the stadium, when we were there and it's, oh, nice. that, that stadium was just awesome. It's just incredible. Yeah, that was cool when the when the Argos would draw big crowds there too. Or you know, it, it's been a while since they've <laughs> they've drawn big crowds, but yeah, yeah. I remember their their Sky Dome days. Yeah, it, it was an awesome place to see a game. In fact, the first time I went there, I actually stayed in the hotel that uh, is built into the stadium. You know, if you watch any baseball games there uh, behind home plate, there there are several hotel rooms uh, that overlook the field, and I was lucky enough to get a room overlooking the field. And so, but I still went and bought a ticket uh, to the game. I think I paid $8 for an end zone ticket. And so I sat in the crowd watching the game and the game was a blowout. The reason I was there was because Doug Flutie was playing with the Calgary Stampeders and he came to town and he just beat up the Argonauts some bad. I think the final score was 53 to three or 55 to three, yeah. something like that. They took him out in the, in the fourth quarter and put in his backup, some guy uh, by the name of Jeff Garcia, you know, to come in and do, do mop-up duty uh, for the <laughs> for the Stampeders. And, and Flutie spent the rest of the game signing autographs for the Argonaut fans who were dying for his autograph behind the bench. But uh, so when they pulled him out of the game, I went back to my room and uh, I was watching the game on TV and I could also look out the window and see the game, but I had the window open to get the crowd noise. Oh, nice. So I couldn't hear the TV. I couldn't hear the TV because the TV wouldn't go loud enough. So I had to tune it in on the radio. So I had the radio for the play-by-play. -play. I had the TV going and I had the game outside my window. Oh man. That's a sensory <laughs> overload there. <laughs> it was so much fun. And that was my first experience with a CFL game. Wow. And I've, I've been back to Toronto a few times. I have not been to their new stadium, BMO field. But I've been uh, back there a couple of times in Toronto for games. Uh, my son and I have been to Hamilton for some games. Uh, first at the old Ivor Wind Stadium before they tore it down. And now they've got the new Tim Hortons field, which is gorgeous. I mean, I'm glad I got to see Ivor Wynn a couple of times because that was such a historic stadium uh, in that town. Right. And it goes, went back to the, the 20s, I think. And uh, uh, so that was nice. But then they replaced it on the exact same site with the new Tim Hortons field. And that stadium is just really really nice and yeah, that's uh, the team i team. cheer for in the cfl i'd really love to make it out there I, I hate that i never made it to ivor win just for the for the reasons you mentioned yep yeah and i'm, I'm pretty much an argos fan so i've yet to make that trip to toronto to yeah. see the uh the argos play i mean you know 
just well, it's nice to know, I guess, in a way that I'll not not have to worry about getting having to buy overpriced tickets in Toronto for a game, at least for the foreseeable future. But still, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> I'm just hoping they open the border sometime soon. I I'd love to go to a to a game this year, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in talking about that, I mean, you know, obviously with everything that's going on with the CFL right now and going, you know, whether or not they're, and, you know, I know you, you know that they're on the 14th is when the decision's supposed to come down as to whether they're not, they're going to play. Um, are you, I mean, I'm of the opinion that they're going to play. How about you? I, you know, I really don't know. I, I'm hoping that they will. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't play last year. Uh, the NFL showed that, that it can be done. You know, the NBA showed it can be done if they stay in a bubble. And and last year there was talk that the CFL teams were all going to go to Edmonton. They were all going to play there, or maybe you know between Edmonton and one other city, they would they would have a bubble and they were going to play uh, games all in one location. Uh, and that that didn't happen. So I'm I really don't know what's going to happen this year, but I I hope that they do play because they they put on a good a good show. It's a great product, and I'm. I think they need the money. You know, they, they need more in uh, gate receipts than the NFL does. I've always said that the NFL can play to empty stadiums uh, year in and year out, and they'd still be making money hand over fist from all the TV money that they're getting. Mm -hmm. The CFL is not like that. They've got to have people in the seats. And I'm just afraid that uh, the CFL might be in trouble if they don't play this year. Yeah, that would be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid, too, it would be absolutely devastating if they went two consecutive seasons with no football. That's that'd be awfully hard to recover from. Yeah. Well, I think if they don't, I mean, I, I if they don't play, they're done. I mean, that's just I think the economics of it. And let's face it, I mean, Americans, American, you know, most people's attention spans are short and if you're not playing people forget about you it's kind of like with the arena league you know going back to talking about the arena league when they went out of they back in during the 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 great recession they took that year off then they tried to come back and it was never ever the same again yeah yeah that's true Uh, even though they the arena football league folded in 2008 the uh, arena football two it's kept playing oh, yeah, that's in, right. yeah. in 2009. So I actually saw a couple of games that year. I went to Milwaukee uh, for one okay. game. And I actually went all the way to Oklahoma City for another game in 2009. And the reason I went that far is because the two coaches of the teams that were playing were both former Grand Rapids Rampage coaches. Okay. And so I went down to reconnect with them and took the boys. It was a nice weekend uh, to drive all the way to Oklahoma City. But back then, so I'm so the AF, the AF2 became then the AFL. So yep. was there a gap in seasons? Did they lose a complete season or? Uh, the AFL lost the 2009 season. Okay. In 2010, they took some of the teams from the AFL and some of the AF2 teams and they made a whole new AFL. Okay. But after that, it was really, it seemed to me, it was really never the same because they lost yes. the franchises. Like the Chicago Rush just were gone. Yeah. And that was one of the, at least I, from what I understood, one of the cornerstone franchises since the league was actually headquartered in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. And Grand Rapids didn't come back after 2008 either. They didn't come back in 2010. Um, so we kind of adopted uh, the Cleveland Gladiators as our team. And Cleveland is just a short four hour drive from here. So yeah. we went to a lot of games in Cleveland to watch arena football. And the former coach from the Rampage in 2008 was now the coach in Cleveland. So that, that made it easy to transition to uh, being a Cleveland Gladiators fan. This is, this is sort of off topic, but I was going through your website, which is great, by the way, with, with all the stuff that you've done and seen. And what caught my eye was uh, when you went to the player draft for Team Michigan in the All-American mm. Football League, you yes. know, Birmingham had the same thing, Team Alabama. And of course, it never got off the ground. But yep. I would just want to get your take on, on the whole concept of that league, because I was actually at SEC media days covering it when news broke that it was being formed. And I think originally there was thought that, you know, this might end up being a fairly decent developmental league. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing, too. Uh, they had Team Michigan, Team Alabama. I think it was a Team Texas. There were eight teams all together, uh, all based on the state and uh, so they were going to be taking players from, you know, the different colleges in that state to try and make up that team. Uh, 
it was, I thought it was a good idea. They were going to play by uh, college football rules. So you only needed one foot in bounds. And, and if you went down, you know, you were down, you didn't have to be touched or anything like that. So it was a very, very interesting premise. And it was, it was that day while I was at the, uh, uh, well, I guess it was at Ford field, uh, during their tryout, you know, they had like a regional tryout that day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got to meet, um, Oh gosh, what's his name? The, the guy who was the head coach uh, at Marshall, uh, the, in the movie, you know, we are Marshall. I, f- I forget his name, but, uh, I can't think of it either. um, Matthew McConaughey played him, uh, mm-hmm. in the movie. And, uh, I got to meet him that day and we, we talked a little bit because he was, he was a big supporter of it. And uh, there were a lot of people that were uh, a lot of college people, a lot of NFL people that were really behind that league. And what happened was, you know, they had a draft and I, I was there to cover the draft a few months later. And then eventually they, about a week before the season was supposed to kick off uh, a major contributor backed out. So they lost all that money and the league just never got off the ground. Yeah, I think it was that subprime mortgage thing caused the guy to to exit, and yeah, they just there was there was no money. I, yeah. The thing to me, which I well, gimmicks the wrong word, but one thing that was interesting is supposedly the players in the league had to be college graduates, and mm-hmm. you know I yes. was thinking, well, that's you know that's admirable and that's interesting, but I wonder how that would play with fans because fans really don't care what a guy's GPA is, you know. No. No, they only care if you can catch or pass or kick the ball. That's Absolutely. all they care about. Didn't mean to hijack it there, Greg. I just oh no, was- no, not, <laughs> not, not at all. No, it was an interesting idea, and uh, and I was sorry that it didn't uh, didn't get off the ground. Well, and that's the thing we've all seen. You know, we've all seen these leagues come and go. Obviously, the two that have always stuck around have been the NFL or and, and CFL. And, and for a while, the AFL, too, the Arena Arena League, too, was very reliable. Yep. Um, in terms of just, you know, professional football itself. Now, let me ask you, the Detroit Wheels, were did you ever get to go to any of the W World Football League games? No, uh, that was uh, 1974 was their season. Like okay. I said, I went to my first NFL game in 75. So okay. I, I heard about them, but I didn't know anything about them. No, I actually saw them play the Birmingham Americans in 1974. Oh, okay. So, yep. So I've, I've one up you guys. I've seen the Detroit wheels live. <laughs> and you've seen the Southern California sun too. Twice. That's you know, right. I, it, it doesn't get any better than that in terms of football fandom right there. <laughs> Magenta well, and I, orange I, for life. <laughs> I did do a history lesson on the Detroit Wheels, and the history lesson was uh, the Wheels couldn't get a contract to play at Tiger Stadium, where the Lions were playing at the time in 74. And so they had to go to Eastern Michigan University to play their games. And the only reason that that stadium has stadium lights today is because the Detroit Wheels paid to put them in at that stadium. That was part of the agreement. We'll let really? you play here at Eastern Michigan, but you have to pay to put in uh, the lights because most of their games were on uh, Wednesday and Thursday nights okay. in the World Football League and they're all night games. So yeah, so they're the ones that paid to put those lights up, which are still there today. Is that Ryan Nearson Stadium that you're talking Ryan about? Ryan Nearson Stadium, yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. Well, yeah, it's, that's, it, oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, Greg, Greg. No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just saying, you mentioned the lights, maybe think of Downing Stadium where the New York Stars played and I remember reading stories when the Birmingham Americans went up there and played them and they were down 29 to three at halftime and they came back and beat New York 32 to 29. But the players were talking about the lighting was so bad. You just kind of had to guess on past patterns. They would just go back and say, look, go to the 30, you know, do a cross pattern and and hopefully, you know, the ball wind up in your hands. But apparently it was just (laughs) awful. the, the, The illumination there. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, you guys are talking lights. And the only light story I have is I know in, uh, I know down at the university of, I'm uh, sorry, Arizona state universities, uh, you know, talking about old football stadiums and lights and everything, but the universe, um, Arizona state university, their baseball field, uh, the lights there were from the polo grounds. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That was the one little bit of trivia that I would drive my Navy enlisted with, uh, down at my reserve unit, we'd always drive by and I go, I go, you know where the lights came from? And they'll be like, sir, the polo grounds. Oh, I've told you this story before. huh? 
<laughs> so let me ask you in terms of just talking about football history, what state, I mean, you, when you and I talked offline, I know you said you'd not been to Chicago for a game. Um, correct. Uh, I, yeah. I've not seen the bears, uh, soldier field. Um, I did. I did see a rush game. Uh, Grand Rapids went to play the Chicago rush. So I've, I've been there for a game. And um, how about what are some of the other stadiums you've been to in the States for NFL games? You've already mentioned, obviously the Hoosier dome and, and, um, and uh, Lucas oil stadium, but where else have you been? Uh, let's see. My, uh, my son and I went down to Carolina uh, to with the Panthers stadium. That was way back in 2002. We saw a game down there and I've been to a game in Cleveland. Saw a preseason game with the Lions there in Cleveland. Been to Lambeau Field a couple of times, but I've never actually seen a game there. Uh, it was all off-season kind of things. Uh, they, I'm not a Packers fan. Uh, you know me. I'm a Lions fan. So, you know, the, the Packers are, you know, uh, not anything I want anything to do with. But I will tell you this. I've been to Green Bay a couple of times. I love the town of Green Bay. I love the people in Green Bay. And Lambeau Field is awesome, and everybody should go there and see it. But the Packers can lose every Sunday, and I'm going to be the happiest guy ever. But no, yeah. we, we we took a tour of the stadium, and we saw the uh, Packers Hall of Fame, and there's just there's just so much to that stadium uh, that's just just awesome. They took us down to the field. They would not let us step on the hallowed ground of the the grass field. There, we could stay on the track, but they wouldn't let us set foot on the field. Really, really? Because yeah. I, 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 if you ever make it back this way, have you done a have you ever done a tour of Wrigley Field? No, no, I have not. I, you know, even though it's baseball, that's a football place you got to see because obviously sure. it's still it's the oldest stadium still standing that hosted NFL games. Yep. And um, you know, when I did the tour about four years ago, we at least got to step on the grass, but they mm-hmm. had they had it all roped off, so you couldn't go much past the dugout. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was cool because you know you're sitting there in the dugout, and there's it's the same door. That, that dugout door has always been there. And, you know, you see in the NFL films clips, guys coming out of the, the dugout door. And um, even better was the visitor's locker room. Because mm-hmm. that had not, that's the same one they've used ever since it's been there. And just thinking of all the, the names and the guys that have been through there. Babe Ruth, Joe, you know, Babe Ruth, you know, all the baseball players. And then you think Johnny Unitas, Vince Lombardi, and you just start going down the line you just sit there and going and you can hear ghosts it's just it's amazing you can just hear like all the history that was in that room and it's a small locker room so was it was it kind of like that with with uh lambo in terms of just having that surreal feeling that of all the guys that have played there before no i didn't i didn't get that feeling i probably should have but i uh, i just thought it was just a beautiful stadium yeah uh, the I belong to the Pro Football Researchers Association, and a few years ago, uh, we compiled a book about the 1966 Green Bay Packers, and they asked a lot of us to contribute certain chapters uh, on either a player or a coach or some aspect of the team, and I was lucky enough to uh, be assigned to write about the history of Lambeau Field, oh. so I got to do that chapter in the book, and I also did a, a uh, a chapter on uh, Boyd Dowler, who was uh, one of the receivers, who I'd never heard of uh, until I did the story, and, and now I'm realizing that you know he his his name is right up there with Bart Starr and and Curly Lambeau. You know, Boyd Dowler was a fantastic receiver for the yeah. team, uh, and so so it was interesting. That's why I like to do research because I love to learn things that I don't know about right. players, about games, or whatever. Um, so so yeah, I. I wrote the chapter on the history of Lambeau Field. It was it was designed after um, the Big House in Ann Arbor. I, I think it was oh, the really? same. I didn't know that. The, yeah, the same kind of design, but but it was designed in a way that it could be expanded over the years, and it has. You know, but they yeah. knew that they wanted to expand it. They started out with you know just a small bowl, and then they added this and they added that, and it's just continued to grow. Well, let me ask you in terms of just talking about history and the research of it and even the reading of it. And I know Scott, Scott and I have had these conversations before we did the podcast. And one of the things I, I love about football history is not only reading about the games themselves, but the times that those games were set in and the history of the stadiums and how they were built. Are you, kind of, are you the same way when it comes to, uh, comes to sports history? 
Yeah, I mean, I you're going to think this is funny. Um, I grew up next to a cemetery when I was a kid. My father, as a part-time job, sold cemetery monuments, which worked out perfectly because we lived next door to a cemetery. And I used to go around with him to a lot of the cemeteries when he, you know, when somebody's stone got delivered, we'd go around to the next town or the next county and go to the cemetery. Um, so I have, in the last few years, made it my mission to go around and visit uh, the graves of great football players. Um, uh, Newt Rockney in South Bend, uh, George Gipp up in Calumet, Michigan, uh, Vince Lombardi in New Jersey, uh, uh, Jim Thorpe in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. I've been to see all these guys and I've, I've got a whole list of others ones I want to go see. And uh, I always get my picture taken by their grave. And it's, to me, it, it just adds something when you've read about these people all your life, you know, everybody knows who Newt Rockney is. Everybody's heard all the stories, but to stand there next to that person's final resting place, it really brings that person, uh, it, it makes them real. They're not just a story in a book. They're real because they're right here. And here I am standing right. next to that person. No, I think that's cool. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't, uh, I guess somebody might think that's morbid, but I don't think that's morbid at all. I mean, I think that's yeah. absolutely, uh, that's, that's a nice little tribute, you know, especially as you said, if you've learned about them, written about them, you know, why not, why not see where they are? Well, for every grave that I have visited, I have written an article and you can find all those uh, on my website. So uh, if I go to a grave, I, I do one. In fact, the, the latest ones I went to were in South Bend again, uh, Leon Hart, the 1947 Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, he went on to play for the Detroit Lions. And then um, uh, the coach, uh, Errol Parsegian, uh, he's buried not too far. So I, I went and visited both of those graves, got my picture taken by both of them. And then I wrote an article about both of them, their careers, you know, their the college careers, pro careers, whatever. And so it's just a, a way to uh, get information out there to people. Uh, here's, here's what the grave looks like. And I even tell you how to find it, you know, go to the cemetery, take the second entrance, go all the way to the end, turn left. And it's right there on your right or something like that. So, uh, you know, if people want to actually go see these graves, they can do that. But I just, I love doing that. Uh, have, have you been to Papa Bear's grave? I have not. I have a list of people around Chicago that I want to go and do. Um, let's see who else is there. Um, oh gosh. Um, I, I, I've got a list of about four or five people okay. that are buried around Chicago. And in one of these, one of these days, uh, I will do that. Um, well, and it, it, the thing is too, I mean, a lot of the, the players that, you know, we all grew up watching, unfortunately, you know, everybody's getting old and everybody is starting to pass. And I know it, it seems like, you know, over the past several years, you see a lot of the heroes that we grew up with are gone. Like Nick Bonacani is a good example. Um, who were your favorite players growing up? I mean, that you, um, I know you mentioned, you know, you saw Greg Landry play, um, but who were, who were your favorites? Well, most of the, my favorite players all come from the lions. I mean, right. I have one favorite team and, and 31 enemy teams. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really, I, I did like Roger Staubach and I like Tom Landry. You know, I, I respected both of them and I, I watched them all the time. And then as soon as both of those guys were gone, when they fired Tom Landry, I was done with the Cowboys. So uh, I, I did like Tom Landry and uh, Roger Staubach. But, you know, Charlie Sanders, Lem Barney, uh, Greg Landry. I saw two games of the Michigan Panthers uh, at the Silverdome. And both of, them, both of the opponents were coached by Greg Landry because he was with the Chicago Blitz the first year and they came to Detroit. And so I picked that game because Greg Landry was there. I also saw him play in Detroit when he came back with the Baltimore Colts as a backup. And then the next year, the, uh, he was with the Arizona Wranglers. And, you know, I don't know if you know the story, but the, the, owners, swap. <laughs> the owners of the two teams actually swapped teams. And so all those players went to the other team. So, yeah, I got, so I got to see Greg Landry two years in a row playing for different teams at the Silverdome. So, and, and as a kid, he was the first Sports Illustrated poster that I had on my wall was a poster oh, okay. of Greg Landry. <laughs> But, you know, Barry Sanders was, was awesome. Billy Sims was a great player. Uh, people don't remember Billy Sims, but he was just as good as Barry Sanders, but his career was cut short 
after four, you know, barely four seasons and he blew out his knee and he never played again, but he had the potential to be just as good as Barry Sanders. So uh, Billy Sims was another great player. And like I said, uh, Lem Barney uh, was awesome. Uh, and Charlie Sanders, and they were both playing on the team at the same time when I was uh, watching them in the early se- or mid seventies. So I got to see them and uh, there's just been a lot of, a lot of great Lions players. I just finished a book um, called uh, when, when Lions were Kings is written by Richard Bach, who's from Detroit, and it follows the Detroit Lions uh, during the 1950s. So it starts out with the 1950 season, goes to 51, 52, 53, all the way to 59. So you're you're reading about Bobby Lane and uh, all the other great players, uh, Leon Hart and, and all those players for Detroit. And you know, towards the end, they picked up Alex Karras, who's now in the Hall of Fame. And, right. and for a Lions fan, that is an awesome book. And I'll tell you, another awesome book is one that was written by Chris Willis about Dutch Clark. Uh, yep. That was an awesome book, too. Uh, so, I have it on my bookshelf. Yeah. I've not read it yet. It's very, very good. And Chris Willis has a great writing style that once you get started in one of his books, oh yeah, you, it just it just flies by. You know, you're, you're just, it, it's a page turner. You, you can't wait to read the next page. Right. He's, I mean, his he's got book, a great style. Yeah, his book on Joe Carr, I could not put down. And I picked yes, it up, I, not I thinking, I read it. I'm like, ah, you know what? Well, I just it was in the moment. Let's try it. Not even thinking. And next thing I, I mean, three days went by, and I'm like, I finally put it down. I just, I burned right through it. And um, you know, his book on um, Red Grange is incredible. But the one on Dutch Clark, um, yeah, I saw him in a book signing, and it's a funny story. I brought the the Red Grange book with me, and the owner of the bookstore had a fit that I brought my own book. <laughs> and so as I'm walking out, I'm like, I told Chris, I go, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you on this one. So because I went home and ordered the book and I got emailed them later. I go, well, since I, I didn't buy your book at the book signing, I, I, I did you a salad and, and bought your other, the one book I don't have. So, but yeah, his, his writing style is phenomenal. And yeah. his, um, you know, when in his his books, when he writes, he's written all his books, he puts his heart and soul in there. I mean, you walk away feeling like you've learned everything there is because you just put so much research into it and couple that with his writing style, which it makes it so easy to read. You know, I, I recommend him to anybody who has yet who, who likes football history to read his books because you walk away not only understanding the game more, but you also understand the times you know, those times, like the, the early NFL, reading that Joe Carr book, man, everything, things make sense now. Um, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about football history that we all love. It It's that window to the past that really helps, I think, all of us enjoy the game more in the times that we're living in. It gives us some perspective. Yeah. Yeah, when I read that book on uh, Dutch Clark, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And then, uh, because I, you know, he's a, he's a former lion. He led the lions to the 1935 championship. Everybody in Detroit knows the name Dutch Clark, but who really knows that much about him? Well, this book answered all those questions. You found out exactly who he was. And in the picture section, he has a picture of Dutch Clark's grave in Colorado. And I'm thinking to myself, now there's a man after my own heart. He went, (laughs) he went and visited the grave and got a picture of it. Yeah. We're going to hopefully have him on here over the summer and we'll have to, I'll have to ask him about that. And um, <laughs> any other any other good authors? I mean, you, you mentioned the, the book on the Lions. Any other good books on the Lions out there that you would recommend for us to read? Well, Paper Lion, of course. That's uh, everybody needs to read Paper Lion. Uh, everybody the movie needs was okay. to see Paper Lion too. Well, the movie you know, was even better. In my opinion, books are always better, uh, but the movie was pretty good. I really enjoyed the movie. The book did not have a young Lauren Hutton in it. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. So I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> but, uh, no, there's, uh, like I said, I, my, my three favorite books about the lions are uh, when lions were Kings, uh, uh, the Dutch Clark book by Chris Willis and paper lion. Those three, if you read those three books, you really get a sense of what the Detroit lions are all about. Okay. Okay. And in terms of the lions now, what do you think their chances are for the year? I have been beaten down and, <laughs> and, and uh, in, into submission many years ago as a Lions fan. I, I get my hopes up every offseason, 
And then the season kicks off and my, my hopes are dashed once again, but I just keep telling my kids, you know, when they finally win it all, it's going to be that much sweeter because we've suffered so long. Like and Cubs it's kind of like, you know, Cle- Cleveland Browns fans, Cubs fans. Yep. Uh, they all know the same thing. Being a lifelong Lions fan is, has not been easy, but I'm still, I'm still there every fall. And, and I'm either watching the games or I'm going to some games and I'm rooting for them every Sunday. Well, it's, it's funny. Um, and Scott, I talk about simulate simulation football all the time with Scott. And so in one of my leagues, I got, a, I got, there was only one team left and that was the Lions. So when I was going through my team cuts, you know, I had to pick out my 12 best guys on the Lions. And I tell you what, just looking at the Lions offensive line, and I'm like, I got Stafford, my quarterback, obviously, before they traded him to the Rams. I'm like, mm, I got a team that actually might have a shot here. Hmm. But, you know, obviously, you know, it's one thing to have it on paper. It's another thing to put it together in real life. So um, yeah. It, it's, yeah. And um, I'm even I, looking at going to a Lions game this year against the Bears, hopefully. Hmm. I, I like the uh, uh, I like the new coach. I like his enthusiasm, but I've heard a lot of talk before. I want to see some wins before I, I get totally committed uh, to the new coach. Yeah, man. Well, I'm a Jets fan, so I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I know a, it. That was the thing, Matt Patricia. Just kind of uh, nothing to show for anything. I mean, I felt bad yeah. for the guy, but um, I don't know. It's just something about it. when he took over that team. I'm like, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, well, you never know. You, know, you 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 get the right coach and the right a bunch of players, the right ownership, and it just clicks. And if something's not right, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, hey, at least we're not Packer fans. Look at it that way. Exactly. I'd rather Amen deal with a losing team like the Cardinals or the or the Lions or even the Bears than be a Packer fan at this. And I like I said, and I told you before, some of my good friends are Packer fans, but you know. <laughs> My wife tried to convert one of my sons to be a Packers fan uh, many years ago. Really? Uh, in fact, uh, yep. Yeah, my, my middle son, Aaron, uh, she bought him a Brett Favre jersey. And he actually had his school picture taken in a Brett Favre jersey. Ooh. And we don't talk about that anymore in this house. <laughs> but but she, she tried to convert him, and it didn't work. Thank goodness. <laughs> Well, the team I always root for, other than the Bears in the Central, has always been the Lions because it's hard to hate the. It's hard. It's impossible to hate the Lions. So you say you're going to the uh, the Thanksgiving game with the Bears? No, no, I'm hoping to go to the Bears Lions game here at Soldier Field here oh, in October. Field. Okay. Fingers okay. crossed. Got to talk to a few people at work about it, but I'm hopeful. And okay. uh, we picked that game out because we we're going through the schedule, and I'm like. Yeah, no. Oh, the Lions game, there should be tickets. That's kind of how we how we made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, okay. do you have anything to add? I'm sorry. I'm taking I'm I'm, I'm taking no, up I'm, most I'm of the just, interview here. No, it's just it always makes me uh envious to listen to people who live in NFL towns. So I just like I just like to hear you talk. Because <laughs> even if you're suffering through pain, you have a team. You actually have a team and you've had one for years. <laughs> I'd take that pain any day of the week. Well, I tell you what, it's funny, and, and, and Randy, help me out here. I don't know if you guys follow – do you guys do the Twitter – or, like, Facebook? Are you guys, like, amongst friends with your 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 Lions fans on Facebook? Um, we I don't do a whole lot with, with other Lions fans. Um, well, it's, in, it's interesting maybe. being a fan of a team and having all your friends who, during Bears-Packer games, my Facebook feed is evenly split, and there is just mm-hmm. so much smack talk going back and forth. That's the one beautiful thing about living in the age we live in. We have that now because back when we were kids, I mean, we could, we could talk to ourselves, talk to our friends and, you know, maybe our dads cared, maybe they didn't. So, um, so let me ask you in terms of just kind of moving forward with, with your website and with your podcast, you guys just going to keep doing, you guys are going to just keep doing what you've been doing for as long as you can keep doing it. Cause you guys got a good thing going. Well, as far as I know, we're just going to keep recording. Adam just bought a new computer and he wants to get into video editing. So he wants to do some things on YouTube. Uh, One of the projects we might be doing is we might be doing uh, some of our history lessons that we've done. We might be putting those uh, on YouTube, Uh, maybe have me retell the story and throw up a few pictures of, you know, the game or the player or whatever. So we might be doing that uh, in the near future. Uh, 
and we've talked about recording our uh, our sessions when we record the podcast and just putting that all up on YouTube. Um, haven't haven't quite gotten there yet. Uh, to me, I just like the format right now where we'll just sit down, we hit record, we talk for an hour. We, there's no breaks. We don't do any editing on our show. I mean, that's either good or bad. I don't know. But you know, when we're done, we we hit stop and he saves it and we upload it and there it is. So you're hearing the show within an, a half an hour after we finish it and it's it's up and ready to go. Well, I tell nice. you what, every every show that I've listened to, I've never heard the flaws except <laughs> except for the last one at the very end when your son played the bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> we he's done that a few times to me. Uh, we'll, we'll mess up something and and we'll stop. And there have been very few times when we've had to stop for anything. Uh, we just plow right through it and and, and it's it's kind of good that way uh, and sometimes it, it, it you makes, guys, when you guys keeps are you on your toes and sometimes when you guys are recording there's breaking news going on i know a few times i've listened yeah. to it like, yeah he's he's always got his phone right there and he's looking at his phone to see if something comes up. and he'll he'll stop me in the middle of a sentence like, oh you gotta hear about this <laughs> <laughs> scott you got anything else you want to add before we close out and now i've got a huge thunderstorm that just hit so oh. just uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the excitement going on in my world right now well, maybe we should wrap it up here before uh before you lose all power over there so randy can you t uh, let everybody know where to find you guys over on uh the internet on the internet and over on the social media yep our web address is the world of not not just world of football you got to put the in front of it because world of football it will take you to a european soccer site uh, for all their coverage over there of, of uh, what they call soccer or what they call football. <laughs> so uh, yeah, theworldoffootball.com is our website. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at uh, TWOF Kalamazoo. That stands for the world of football Kalamazoo. And uh, that's, that's about it. All right. Well, hey guys, Randy, thank you much for joining us and, you know, speaking you. for Scott and I, yeah, thank we you, really, Randy. really both appreciate this and, uh, you know, to those listening right after this. And if you're a Lions fan, or even if you're not a Lions fan, there's a little something extra at the end of this podcast for everybody's enjoyment. So um, for Scott and I, Randy, thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed it. This is Joe Schmidt of the Detroit Lions. Our fight song, Lions Gridiron Hero. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like 
are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Hello, football friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, and I'd like to invite you to the portal of positive football history, Pigskin Dispatch and pigskindispatch.com. We talk about everything that centers around the game of American football, expert discussions, the origins of the games, the great players, teams, and coaches, and more, and some great guests and insights from experts. We have new episodes three to four times a week, and you can find us on sportshistorynetwork.com, pigskindispatch.com, or your favorite podcast provider. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.